good morning. If you want to turn to Colossians 2 in your Bible, we're on page 984. If you are using a, a uh, pew Bible, we are in Colossians chapter 2. This week, before we observe the Lord's table, we're going to once again take a final look at this idea of appearance versus reality. What appears to be one thing is in reality something very different. And in verses 16 to 19, we've seen over the past few weeks that we can easily be persuaded to embrace the counterfeit. Well, if you are familiar with the New Testament as you read Paul's epistles, You see a pattern that he usually writes with and he states truth and then he brings it to where the rubber meets the road and that's what we are going to be looking at this morning. Paul gives the truth and then he gives the practical ramifications for the truth. And we're going to see exactly that in our text. Because what we're going to see is if we allow judgment on things outside of what Scripture says to be cast upon our lives, if we allow ourselves to become disqualified or to have others' verdicts of disqualifications outside of gospel truth to be cast upon us, and we start to fall for such false thinking and philosophy and teaching as is described here verses 18 and 19 then the result is going to be enslavement and that's what Paul really seeks to bring out in verses 20 to 23 and we're going to need to take these warnings and these passages to heart in our own life lest we find ourselves claiming the right things with our, mouth, with our mouths and our minds, but our hearts find themselves in a false captivity, a false enslavement. So Paul, as he is, is finishing this thought that we read of in verses 16 to 23, we're going to pick up in verse 20. And he says this, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all referring to things that perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion in asceticism or false humility and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The key truth that we have found uh, repeatedly in verses 16 to 23 has been the fact that truth and error cannot coexist. 
But if we allow truth and error to coexist in our lives, we are going to find the false value of an empty religion. The false captivating value of what is empty. Because as we're going to see from verses 20 to 23, not only can we easily be persuaded to accept counterfeits in our lives, we also see here that we can therefore easily become enslaved as we embrace those counterfeits. Let's have a word of prayer and we will get into our passage today. Father, I do pray, God, that You would give us attentive minds and attentive hearts. Father, to receive with meekness the implanted Word as is written that we may grow thereby. Father, receiving Your Word means nothing unless there's growth. So Father, as we come, many of us with distracted hearts, troubled hearts, Father, maybe fearful hearts, hearts that are possibly far from You, Lord, hearts that have been taken captive by false counterfeits, God, I pray that You would draw our attention back to Your Word. Father, as, as Randy prayed, Lord, as pride and sin and, and just all these different things turn our eyes off of You, God, we pray that the gentle, loving arms of the Holy Spirit would focus our gaze back to You. Father, no, no matter how far we've drifted, no matter what anguish, sorrow, fear may be on our hearts, would You mercifully turn our gaze back to You. Father, with the end thereof, that we would see more of Jesus and that we would grow. Father, help us to take what we hear and see from Your Word in verses 20 to 23 as Paul finishes up giving these warnings. May we take it to heart. Father, may we keep it at the forefront of our minds as we navigate through a world and a culture that does not promote the things that You promote, that does not stand for the truths that You stand for. And God, may we give You the glory and the honor and all of it. In Jesus' name, Amen. We can easily become enslaved by embracing the counterfeit. The saddest thing in the world is for a, pr a prince or a princess who has been adopted into the family of the king, who's been invited to eat bread, to drink a cup from the a cup, to fellowship with the family of the royalty to take those blessings and to spurn them because of false misconceptions and false truths. 
and to go out into the highways and byways of that kingdom and eat the slop of the peasants and to sleep on the hard cobble streets of the homeless. When there is an open bed in the castle of the king, there is an empty chair at the seat at the table of the king. But many times we as believers who are now adopted into this family of God so easily become persuaded by the thinking of our past. Back when we were peasants on the street corners, so to speak, of our spiritual existence. And to say, somehow I am not worthy to sit at the table of the king. I am not worthy to sleep in the castle of the king. So I will accept a counterfeit. You see, this is what these believers were in danger of here. If in fact, in verse 20, Paul reminds them once again, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still living in the world, do you submit to those regulations? You see, we easily become persuaded by several different ways. When we seek to embrace a counterfeit or when we seek to flirt with error, what we find is that we become enslaved to a false identity. That son, that daughter of the king, though not biologically, through adoption, through the purchase of the king, is now the king's. But there's always that temptation to go back to a false reality. To forget what the king has done for him or for her. And to go back to the past. And that is what was at danger for these Christians here. And that is what is at danger for us. To become enslaved to a false identity. Because we already see what the believer's standing is before God. It says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, even though there's that if there, the sentence, the way that it is constructed is not a question that, well, if this is true, and man, it may not be, it, it could almost be translated, since, you, since this is true of you, how can you do this? How can you go back? This is a, a statement of, of, that assumes the validity of the fact that these Christians are children of the King. It is with Christ that they are, have died. You see, this statement is bound in assurance. Remember who you are. Do you remember who you are this morning? Do you remember whose you are this morning? This statement is bound in assurance. And this statement can only be bound in assurance because this statement is bound with Christ. Notice the text says, if with Christ you've died 
to the elemental spirits of this world. You see, that's nothing that we can do on our own. We can't just say, hey, I'm going to about face the ship when it comes to our spiritual reality. Now, there are, are certain issues where we see people making change. Maybe someone was an alcoholic and they have made a change and they are on a, a different path and there are choices that we can make. But listen, when it comes to our spiritual life or death, when it comes from being spiritually dead to receiving the, the illumination and receiving the life that the Spirit of God gives, that is something that we can't do on our own. But because of what Christ has done for us, because of what, of what God has done in us, He has taken what Jesus was sent to do, what we're going to celebrate in a few moments at the Lord's table. And He has unified us with the work of His Son. We are now, as we talked about several weeks ago, bound to Jesus. Once we were bound to our sin, now we are bound to Christ. In fact, in verse 12, look at all of the with hymns, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful work of God who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. Folks, we are marked. If you're a believer today, you are marked with Christ. You're marked with it. Many times, if, if you are an avid fan of something, you like to be known by it. And how do we know what you really like? Well, it may be looking at your car and seeing all of your bumper stickers. Maybe it's your shirt and, and the, the advertisement or the logo or the design that is on it. Maybe it is tattoos all over somebody's body that marks what they enjoy. Folks, we have been marked, the Scripture says, by Christ. If we are one of his. We have been bound with Christ. Our identity is now in the person of Jesus. It's not in what you do. It's not in what you say. It's not in what you think. It's not in what you feel. It's not in what circumstances you're going in. It's not in what church you're attending. It's in none of those things. It is in Christ. We are completely bound to the person and work of Christ. And the work of Christ was one of complete perfection. It was one of substitution where He took my place and He took your place so that we can have that righteousness, that perfection of Christ on our behalf. Not that we're perfect right now, 
But guess what? Because we are bound, we are with Christ, we have been associated with Him with his de- in His death, in His resurrection. Now when God sees us, He sees His Son. So let me ask you this. Are you wanting to throw that away? Are you actually wanting to to mentally and to, to, to set that aside and say, I want to pursue what I want to pursue. I want to pursue a lesser thing. Now, the Scriptures teach the perseverance of the saints. In other words, the Scriptures teach that those whom God has redeemed will continue faithfully to the end, not based upon their own power or ability, but based on God's faithfulness. The believer is eternally secure, will never lose that salvation. But the Bible also gives very stern warnings. As we have seen and have, have repeatedly gone to in Scripture, uh, for instance, Colossians 123, uh, talking about the hope of the gospel and one day being blameless and above reproach, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So somewhere along the line, and we can't perfectly perfectly explain everything with our temporal minds, but there is the assurance that God's hand will never be off of us if we are truly His. Based with the exhortation, man, that we must keep persevering in the faith. It's not a I prayed a simple prayer. And therefore, hey, I know I'm saved. I prayed this prayer like when I was four years old. And, and you know, I've no desire to serve God. I've no desire to seek after His things. But man, I prayed that prayer. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that as we are bound with Christ, with all of our imperfections, with all of our prone our our proneness to wander with all of the ups and downs, with all of the valleys, all of the mountains, that we come back to the point that Jesus, You are the real thing and I must follow You. I am Yours and You are Mine. Folks, do not let yourself become enslaved to embracing a counterfeit. You have been given a great assurance that you are bound with Christ. And this is different from anything that the world could ever give you. It says that we've died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why? Because we have been given new life. We have been given, we're going to see in chapter 3, a new calling, a new purpose in life to pursue greater things. Things that are above, not things that are just here on the earth. 
These elemental spirits are, we remember who is the prince of the power of the air, the one who is at work in this world. It's, it's Satan, right? Ephesians says that. These elemental spirits are, are talking about, about the, the philosophies that Paul has just mentioned and the teachings that are being promoted ultimately by Satan himself. There are spiritual uh, warfare going on that we don't see. Now, you remember a few weeks ago, I said that we have to be balanced, that we don't start coming up and just labeling things spiritual warfare uh, all over the place. Uh, you know, there's a demon for this and a demon for that and a demon for this, and I coughed, and I, that was because of a demon. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But a lot of times we can get caught down that road. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is the pulls and the pushes and the currents of culture do not just stem from the mind of man, but they stem from the prince of the power of the air. But we have died to these things. We have died to being blinded by these things because why? God has removed the blinders. We now see with new eyesight. We see with new perspectives. So what Paul is saying is, do you really want to go back down that road, Christian? Do you really remember how lost and confused and frustrated and miserable you were before you found Christ? But just like with Eve, as Satan came and tempted her, we often become disillusioned with God, thinking that somehow, despite all of the glories of living in this Garden of Eden and enjoying all of God's wonderful creation and, and all of these things, somehow God must be withholding something from me. And look at that fruit. If I can just get one bite, why? Because I know better than God. Satan had Adam and Eve embrace a counterfeit when they ate that fruit, and he's been having individuals throughout history ever since embracing counterfeits time and time again. You see, we can become enslaved to a false identity by forgetting the standing that we have of being bound with Christ, of being called to better things. And what that will lead us to is to great confusion. Paul simply in the, the latter half of verse 20 asks a very pointed question. Okay, if this is true of you, if you have died with Christ, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Why? Many of you who are parents, you ask your children very pointed questions. Okay, why did you do this? There's great confusion. And folks, we will face great confusion in our Christian lives and the result of that confusion 
And the means to that confusion are going to be, first of all, that position and practice fail to meet. In other words, who you are, your standing as a Christian, and what you are doing, what you are involved with, what your thought perspective and, and what your thought philosophy is, is totally opposed to your identity in Christ. And that brings great confusion. See, this will automatically bring confusion both to yourself and to others. This will automatically put you at odds with your calling. What is our calling as believers? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But who? For Him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me ask you, this past week, who have you lived for? As you came to church today, who were you thinking about? As you are serving in the, the ministries here at Covington Baptist Church, who are you serving for? yourself, others? Is it Christ? Is it all three at once, which a lot of times it can be? <laughs> you see, position and practice fail to meet. And when that happens, you will soon find that freedom in Christ is sacrificed. All this freedom that these believers were given, verses 13 to 15, remember that? The record of debt was canceled. The legal demands, all of that was nailed to the cross in the body of Christ. And now look, several verses later, we get to verse 20, and rather than submitting to the Lordship of Christ who bought these believers, what's the danger? They're submitting to regulations. Again, that word submitting to regulations, that phrase all comes from one word. It's the word that we get dogmatics from. Have you ever heard, man, that person is a very dogmatic person. That means that they have their opinions and they are right and you can't talk sense into them. That's what being dogmatic means. And at times it's good to be dogmatic. At other times it's not. But basically what Paul is asking is why, if this is a word, why are you dogmatizing yourself? Why are you putting yourself under this false set of regulations, of rules, of dogmatics? Why? It's totally contrary to Christ. You see, what they're doing is they're putting themselves under the yoke of something else, of someone else. They are submitting. And the, the, the scary thing about this is they are willingly doing it. And they are continually doing it. This has the idea of continual action. Why are you allowing this to continually happen? Why is this starting to characterize your life, in other words? 
And as they are allowing this to happen, their freedom, the reality, the sense that they have of I have been forgiven, I have been cleansed, I have been given a calling in life, all of that is starting to, to empty itself out. And what they are get caught in, uh, getting caught up in is now, these teachers said I got to do this, and these teachers said that if I'm really going to be spiritual, I got to do this over here. Now, how does this all translate to, to us? In so many ways. If we have been given freedom for Christ, from Christ, are we clinging to what Christ has given us, or are we letting the reality of that truth slowly trickle from our hearts? And we are refilling our hearts with worry. Man, if I am going to be satisfied, if I am going to be complete, then this has to happen or this has to happen. And we let all of these things cloud our minds and cloud our judgments. That before we know it, Christ is put in the back burner of our mind And the sense of purpose and calling and freedom that we are to have as believers is gone. Because we are preoccupied with so many other things. We're going to see at the end of this passage that all of these things have an appearance of, of religion. They seem right, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you know what? Some of the things that we, we preoccupy our minds with seem so honorable, don't they? I mean, being a workaholic seems honorable, doesn't it? Man, you know, work all the time and, you know, provide all this stuff for my family. That seems honorable. That seems righteous. But what about when it is causing you to run dry spiritually? It is causing your family to run dry spiritually. Worry is a very, very, it's one of those respectable sins. We can all admit to worry because, you know, nobody has a bad connotation about that. You know. But guess what? It's one of those sins that causes us to run dry. So many things in our life cause us to lose the sense of freedom that we have in Him. In essence, what they are doing is they are putting themselves under a system that is void of Christ. That's why in verse 21 it says, he starts to go into detail about what these regulations are. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, Sounds like what I tell my kids when we go through a china uh, shop, a, a shop with china in it. Don't, don't put your hands in your pockets and don't do a thing. Then Rachel tells that to me. <laughs> They're putting themselves under a system that is void of Christ. And when we put ourselves under a spirituality that is void of Christ, 
what we are going to soon find is, first of all, that we cannot manufacture spiritual progress. We can try, and it can start to, to look good up front, but again, when we run out of that self-manufactured propelling force, whatever that may be, we're going to see that spiritual growth cannot be manufactured. I like what one person says dealing with this idea of, of what the text will later say concerning asceticism or basically a false humility, kind of an inflicting the body, keeping from the body things it needs, hurting the body. It says asceticism feeds the flesh by starving it. How's that for something that's kind of an ironic statement? That these people were actually trying to, to starve the flesh in order to gain this higher sense of spirituality, but what they were in essence doing was simply feeding the flesh. How many times do you often say, man, I'm just going to do better at this? And we, we trust our own selves and the own strength that we can muster up. And all that does is lead us more into the very thing that we're trying to avoid because of the frustration that it causes. We cannot manufacture spiritual progress. Secondly, what you will find out with a spirituality void of Christ is that man-made religion and philosophy always falls short of God's ideal. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It's almost a progression. Uh, you could even uh, translate this. Do not handle, do not taste, don't even touch it. It's almost like progressions, like you're holding something, you're kind of looking at it. No, don't do that. You know, maybe you're looking at it, looks interesting, you give it a lick. No, I don't know. Uh, don't, don't, don't taste it. And you know what? Don't even put your finger on it. Don't do any of that if you want to really find out what spirituality is all about. That's what was going on here. But Paul says you already have. You already have true spirituality because what is that? Look at chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. So from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, folks, true spirituality the stimulus for growth in your life is realizing that fullness only comes through Christ. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And guess what? You have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Amen? doesn't mean that we're filled with deity. No, that's uh, Christ that uh, has the deity. God the Father, God the Son, equal deity. 
But it does mean that we have been given the fullness of Christ because of our being bound to Him. That now Christ is our all to us. So if fullness is found in Christ, then anything else will lead to emptiness. That leads us to the third realization of a spirituality that is void of Christ, that man-made precepts are always short-lived. They are always short-lived. Notice uh, that the whole regulations, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, Look at what verse 22 says. These all refer to things that perish as they are used. So in other words, let's say there's something that they are not supposed to, to touch, whether that stems, like we talked about a few weeks ago, from, from the Jewish law, not touching these certain unclean things. Okay, they don't touch it. Well, guess what? What do they have to show for it at the end of the day? But they didn't touch it. Okay. You know, the law says don't eat pork, so, so they avoid pork? Guess what they have to show for it at the end of the day? They didn't eat pork. Doesn't that seem foolish? It says, why are you submitting to this when as soon as it's done, there's nothing to show for it? Isn't that what we do every day? To fall for for. Some type of, of lesser thing? How many temptations do you give into in your life and you kick yourself? Because after you give into that temptation, you said, Why? What do I have to show for it? What gain was it really? You see, Christ calls us to so much more. He calls us that what we strive for as God's people when we are living our lives in conjunction, in alignment with our standing as a believer, man, we are investing in eternal things. We're investing in things that matter to pillow your head at night and to know that what you have invested in will never pass away. I mean, you can be working a, a job, you can be working in your factory or, or out in, um, in your, the, the lawn business or whatever it is, in a corporation, and you can be doing your normal tasks that you've been given and the whole time be saying, I have been given an eternal purpose and this, what I'm doing here, plays a part in that eternal purpose. And I am going to be doing this as a steward for my Lord, knowing that He has put me here ultimately for all that I do to bring glory to Him both the things no one sees and also the things that people see as I have, been, I have been called to be a bearer of Christ's light. 
to say, man, I, you know, stay at home, take care of kids, or, or I'm a, a teen, a college student, I go to school, I study, and all of that. Yes, and all of that plays into God's eternal working in your life. It's not just a waste of time. It's not just wasted hours in the day. It is to equip you in ways that you could never equip yourself. But how are we to keep that in our minds if we are preoccupied with counterfeit thoughts from the prince of the power of this world or counterfeit things that we are trying to fill our hearts with. You see, when we fill ourselves with man-made precepts, man-made teachings, it reflects our attention from the eternal to the temporal. What it winds up doing is it produces in us a theology, not of God, and, and how we give Him glory, and how, man, He has, he has just equipped us to bring us glory. Rachel was saying, uh, and I hadn't really thought about it, uh, but you know, Rachel loves the Olympics. I, I'm not a huge Olympic fan, um, except maybe for the basketball, but, but all the other stuff I watch just because she's watching it. But she said, you know, one of the reasons I love watching the Olympics is you see these athletes that are running and that are jumping and swimming and doing all these things. And the very... Um, the very uh, action, the athleticism of their bodies, man, that just shows me God's glory of his creation. I thought, that is so true. That all of these things point to eternal things. I mean, though that trophy's going to rust, man, when you are using what God has given you for his glory, that is an eternal thing. But our minds are pushed to the temporal when we embrace these counterfeits. And what happens is it produces no eternal impact or lasting satisfaction. You know, the story was told of an Indian territory, and I don't remember all the details, but they a factory was built along the, the reservation and, and they, they, they hired a lot of, a lot of these individuals uh, to work and, and that were very poor. And, and they worked and they did their allotted, time, uh, allotted responsibility and then they, they stopped working. They didn't want to work anymore because they had the money that they, that they needed to live. And the heads of the corporation thought and they said how can we get these guys working again they said i know so what they did was they started sending catalogs to these individuals homes of just random things like a normal catalog has of things to buy every single one of those people went right back to work and there was never a problem with those individuals not wanting to be employed by that company again. Why? Because they saw all of these distractions on which they could center their lives. 
And folks, Satan would love for you, would love for me to give us the cat, his catalog that he gives so many individuals and says, look at all of these things that you could spend your life pursuing. I mean, doesn't matter what age you are, but you think this rose age, teens, you know, look at these things that you could pursue. And what are we tempted with? Being caught up with what we immediately see or being caught up with what we know is eternal and lasting. You see, verse 23 says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But, and here's, here's the big, the big uh, uh, downer here, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, folks, enslavement to the counterfeit, it will lead to a false sense of identity, but as we have discussed, it will lead to a false sense of immediacy. We become blinded by what is immediately before us. There's a reason it says these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. You see, when we start to embrace these counterfeits, in foolishness we claim to be wise. There's an appearance of wisdom here. No one can argue that. Indeed, it has an appearance of, wis of wisdom. We start to think of ourselves, that we are wise in what we accept. Forgetting what it says in places like 1 Corinthians 3.19, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Forgetting what it says in places like Isaiah 29.14, the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. What appears wise is many times so foolish. Many times we can think we are wise in what we promote or what we allow to accept into our hearts that are being promoted to us because there's an appearance and wisdom in promoting self-made religion Sedatism, severity to the body. You note those three descriptions, self-made religion. Paul uses this, this term not in a positive sense. He uses it purposefully in a negative sense. He's saying, hey, this religion that you are following does not have the qualifications of everything that I have just shared, written to you in, in chapters 1 and 2 talking about all of this that is from above, that is, that is preeminent. No, this is from the earth. 
This is man-made religion. And whenever you have man-made or self-made religion, you will always tie it back to a do-it-yourself religion. Of all of the religions on this earth, there's really only two when you dust away all of the side factors. There's a religion of faith and there is a religion of works. Christianity as described through the Scriptures is the only religion that says that eternal security, a right relationship with God is founded upon what someone else did and accepting that and getting your assurance and fullness from that. It, uh, that's, the Bible is the only, the, the only book, the only uh, religion that, that proclaims anything like that. Everything else is somehow, somewhere along the road, a do-it-yourself religion. And so it is here in the text. You see, this has an appearance of wisdom because the wisdom of this world says that wisdom is found in the self-quest to find God. Isn't that a perfect description of, of spirituality as defined broadly in our culture? Man, you are on a quest to find God. To find that energy that spark of divinity and all the other weird terms that, that is used to try to describe what God is. Self-made religion. The text also describes this religion that has an appearance of wisdom as asceticism, and we already just talked about asceticism a few weeks ago. That word can also be translated false humility. The thought was surely denial would lead to enlightenment. And then severity to the body, which further describes this kind of humility and asceticism that it would inflict upon the body. It's the idea that if I can just suffer, if I can just do these things, then I will receive greater revelation. I will receive those visions that verse 18 talks about that they were going in detail about. I will have those visions, the extra revelation that other people don't have. And folks, the Scriptures say that there is only one person who suffered in the body for our eternal redemption. And who is that? Who is it? It's Jesus. We need to get excited sometimes. It's Christ. Amen? You see, what happens is in our foolishness, we are left powerless. We are left joyless. 
Listen, the flesh cannot defeat the flesh. Verse 23 says, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same things over and over again that don't work. So I guess we could all be classified as insane because we all do that, right? But these things have no value. This self-made religion we like to construct. We all do it. It was a self-made religion when Adam and Eve tied up the leaves together to clothe themselves, to cover their nakedness uh, before a holy God. They were on their self Uh, self-made religion project and we sow those leaves together every day of our lives but as you do it as you seek those things that are outside of Christ realize that it's of no value you see flesh cannot defeat flesh flesh cannot satisfy the very fact that there is an indulgence of the flesh that these individuals are trying to to knock out shows that there is a longing for fullness that we each possess and what is the difference maker is how we go about seeking that fullness do we seek it from christ Or do we seek it from other things? The longing for fullness cannot be achieved by means of the flesh or by denial of the flesh. As we close this morning, I'd like to just read you a quote from Ken Hughes. He says this, The answer to legalism is the continual realization of the grace of Christ. The answer to mysticism is an understanding of how profoundly we are related to Christ. The answer to asceticism is the reckoning that we have died, have been buried, and are resurrected with Christ. The answer is where it all began, at the foot of of the cross and get this all our theology all of our preaching all of our singing hymns together deep uh, us or keep us right at the foot of the cross simply drinking long and deep from the fountainhead jesus christ and as we observe the lord's table uh, today We are seeking to keep before us the source of our faith. And for many, for all of us, because this is not natural to all of us, these things may seem a little confusing. Well, I need to seek Christ and and keep Him at the center and, and realize that I am bound with Christ through His death, through His resurrection, and I'm not used to thinking that way, and it's confusing. Well, many times the things that are right and are biblical are very alien to our habits. But unless we say, God, would you show us more of this, then we continue 
walking without the realization of what our standing actually is. 